Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Let's open up our Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along any number of ways. You can scoot next to the person next to you. They'd be glad to share their Bible with you. You can reach under a chair in front of you and pick one up there. You can look up on the screen or you can use that nice little handy outline I provided for you in our worship folder. So you have many ways to do that. But I would suggest that you uh, get a Bible and you read it and you have it with you and bring a pen with you so you can mark it and your notes so that you'll have that for future reference as well as to mentor or disciple someone else. Now let me take you back a little bit because I want to bring all of you who are, who are here today that weren't with us the last couple of weeks so you know what we're talking about. Obviously we're going to talk about bread slash manna and Jesus is thrown in the mix so you need to know. To shorten the story, I want you to know that Jesus is in northern Israel. Picture northern Israel in your mind. I want you to think of this huge lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee. I want you to think that he is now on the northeast side of that lake up near the Golan Heights. And there are a bunch of people there that are hungry. It's the end of the day. Scripture said there was 5,000 men there. That passage is mentioned in other places that would now lead us to believe that there were 20,000 people. Just think of 20,000 fans screaming here at our stadiums, all right, 20,000 of them. And he feeds them all with food left over for his disciples. Now, while they're munching and eating and doing their thing, and 20,000, a lot of people, a lot of commotion going on, once that's done and they're eating, he releases his disciples. They end up going into a boat that he made them get into, and out into the water they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Then Jesus has a storm come up, because I believe in the sovereignty of God. It wasn't an accident. He then walks on the water, pulls, invites Peter out of the boat, and then they have this little teachable come-to-Jesus moment with the disciples and Peter, and he teaches them about faith. And he decided to do that apart from the crowd, talks to 12 guys that are going to be tremendous leaders of the church later on. Well, all but, but one, the rummy Judas. And he gives them that lesson. So they end up on the other side of the lake, and now these guys are running all around. I'm talking about these thousands of people are all trying to find Jesus because they got fed one time. So they diddly bop over to the other side of the lake finding Jesus. And that's where we were last week when he was talking about what is the work that you have to do to have eternal life. They still don't get it. They want Jesus to do all these miracles. They want him to be that uh, social person that will provide all the social needs, take care of their food, take care of their needs. And Jesus says, listen, it's not about all those signs. It's about the work of God, which is to believe in me. So he says, I want you to move from the physical to the spiritual, he's saying to those people. And so that's where we kind of left it. So if you have your Bibles, let me just back up two verses, and then we're going to get into our message for today. And we are going to be talking about, bottom line, the eternal security of those who believe in Christ. Pick it up at verse 28 of chapter 6, and here's what you read. It says, therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we could do the work the works of God. We want to do those kind of works. We want to do these fantastic things as well. And he says, all right, you want to do the work of God? It's very simple. He said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So he says, it's not about all these outward miracles to provide your daily life. He says, it's all about knowing Jesus Christ is your forever Savior by faith alone in him. Now we pick up the rest of this little dialogue going between Jesus and this crowd of people. And so he says in verse 30, So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? They've already seen some, but it wasn't enough. They wanted more works for him to do. 
They continue their little monologue to him and saying, look at Jesus, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And then Jesus responds. Let me just pause for a moment and talk about that because we have so many new people that are listening. You might not know, what is this manna thing? I heard about it, but I don't know what it is. So let me explain. The Jews were in Egypt. And while they were there, they were crying out to God for a deliverer. And so the Lord had Moses to be their deliverer. I'll come back to Moses later on in my message today. But he brought Moses onto the scene. And he leads them out of, out of Egypt to this promised land. They were supposed to get there in a matter of just a few weeks of travel. But because they disobeyed God, they wandered in the wilderness for everybody how long? 40 years he was out there. Well, early on in that 40 years, they got hungry. Obviously, there were millions of Jews, not 10, not 20, not 20,000 people, but a whole lot more than that. And when you're in the desert, there's not a lot of food out there. So they're in the desert. They're hungry. They're thirsty. You know, those are all precursors of what Jesus is all about. Water, bread, he's drink of him, never thirst again, eat of him, never get hungry again. Talking about the spiritual, that's a pr preparation for what's coming thousands of years later. Let's go back to this. So now what happens? They're crying out for food. And what does the Lord do? It's so beautiful. God in heaven rains down this manna upon them. And that manna that he give, gave to them was for six days. So you say, what about that seventh day? No manna came that seventh day. But don't worry, because God is a God of grace. Even in the Old Testament, he gave them six days bit of food. But he added one extra day of food ahead of time for that one day that they couldn't go out and gather the manna that was there. How many people did he feed? Not 10,000, not 20,000. Some people say 2 to 3 million Jews. We can try to do some number games on that. All you need to know, it's a huge crowd. And when he fed them, that manna was to take care. This is it. That manna had to take care of them. Not one day, not one week, not one month, not one year, but for 40 years, God was raining down manna on those people to provide for them. Now, you got that picture. Now you have to get where these Jews, they knew that their God could provide manna. If Jesus is supposed to be this big God, let him do this big miracle and provide some food for them. So that's where he's going here. And he's now going to respond to them about this manna and this whole issue. Let's go a little bit further now. Here's his response to their request. It's beautiful. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. And then he says, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Now, if you will, just look up here for a moment because I want to speak to this issue. That's a lot in that verse, but there's some hidden meaning in here that you need to understand about the tension. The tension, not so much just between Jesus and these people. It's the tension between the physical world and the spiritual world again. So here's what it is. He's basically saying here in that passage, truly, truly. That phrase, truly, truly, is found 25 times alone in the Gospel of John. I mean, I mean, means so be it. This is true. I ain't going to tell you a lie right now. Look at me. Listen up. All that he's saying in that one phrase because he's about ready to take them from the physical and bring it up to the spiritual. So now he has to correct some of their thinking. Those of you that would like to jot some notes down, you might want to take these notes down because I'm going to give you four things that he is saying in this passage to get them ready to begin thinking now, not about the physical food, but about the spiritual. And let me tell you, I'm telling you up front, they still don't get the memo. So let's look at it. Here's the first thing that he's telling them. He's saying, not Moses provided this for you. You think it was Moses that brought you this food. Yeah, he was the one who told you about it and all of that. But this food actually came down out of heaven for you. Now, 
Folks, you really got to listen to this because you're going to hear some unusual things here because this food that came out of heaven, it came from heaven, and really it came from God. Here's number two. This manna was not really the bread of God. It was the bread from God. And here it is. It was really a symbol of God being the bread. Now, those of you that love reading the Old Testament, when you're reading about this manna and you're reading about, oh, how good God is. He provided manna. Kids, kids, listen up. When your parents teach you the story about the manna that's being provided and how good God is to take care of those poor starving people that were there in the desert, I want you to know that's right. That is right. But that's just the low-level lesson. The bigger lesson is that he is now going to provide himself as that manna, that he is the one who will take care of people physically, but more importantly, spiritually. He'll take care of us temporally. That means temporary, short time. But he, more importantly, wants to take care of us eternally. Spiritual, eternal. Physical, temporary. Take care of temporary, yeah, but that's a minor. The major is eternal. Here's the third lesson he's correcting. He says the manna gives physical life, zoa, life, but the bread of God, Jesus Christ, provides spiritual life. Now, folks, I need you to listen to this because in the next couple weeks that I'm going to go through this, you're going to get to the most very difficult part of Scripture that talks about communion in some religious traditions that says that the communion wafer becomes the body of Christ and you're going to eat the body of Christ when you eat the wafer for communion. That's what they'll tell you. And I want to show you from Scripture that that is not the case. But what does it really mean? Because it is in Scripture. But what does it really mean? And he's beginning this, and I just don't have three hours today to give it to you, three messages into one. So I want you to be prepared. But he's getting ready. All right, so it's talking about the physical with manna, but Jesus Christ being the spiritual. Next, and I love this, he's talking about preparing, watch this now, the physical needs of the people through manna, particularly the Jews. Watch this. When God rained down manna on the people, it was not for the world to eat, it was just for the Jewish people in the desert to eat. However, go back to the passage. Look at your Bible now for, the, for a moment, if you will. This is so cool. Verse 33 says, For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven, which is referring to Christ, and gives life, not physical life, but spiritual life. Now, underline it in your Bible, to the world. So Jesus Christ says, I'm not here just to provide for those who are Jewish people like the manna did. He says, I am the bread of life. Come down from heaven because I am God. I'm providing myself as the bread for the entire world. Now, let's just pause for a moment. Those of you who are so new to Christianity and so new to this whole Christian thing, you're in a Christian church right now. You hear the term missionary and you wonder what's it all about. Here's what it's all about. Jesus Christ is the ultimate missionary because he left heaven, his home in heaven, to come to a sin-sick world to bring us the message of himself and what he did for us on the cross so we could have eternal life and spend eternity with him. So he is the greatest missionary. He's once sent from God to us with a message who's authorized to do that. He's a missionary to us. Now he says that what our job is as Christians is to receive Christ as our Savior by faith alone. That's what it means to partake of the bread of life, which is Christ Rhetorically, we could say we're going to eat the bread of Christ. That means we consume it. We consume Christ, all of him. But now that is not just for us. That's for everybody. Folks, you are in a church right now 
that is burdened for this world to know that Jesus is the bread of life and was meant for the world. In the last seven years, we've added five or six missionaries. In a matter of an hour and a half, our mission team is deciding between two tremendous missionaries to decide which one of those two we as a church should support so we're going to add to our mission family. In addition to that, we have different ones here that have gone out on mission trips. We fund missionaries. We invite them to come in. Once a month, we do a mission moment, mission conferences. We bring our missionaries before people. Our midweek prayer meeting predominantly prays for missionaries. Why? Because Jesus is the bread of life that is meant for the world. Now, here where you and I fit into this. I will celebrate all of our missionaries. I will support all of our missionaries. I will encourage our missionaries, and I will send money to our missionaries. But God says that's not enough. He says, we are a missionary to where we live right now. I'd like for you just for a moment, if you can do this little mind game, would you look in your mind's eye, and I want you to see the people who back out of their driveway in the morning to go to work. Look at their face. I want you to think about the neighbors next door when you hear them laughing or yelling at each other, whatever they're doing. You men and women that will go to work tomorrow and wherever you work, whether it's construction or an office or maybe it's in the retail industry or wherever it might be, I want you to think of the people in the desks and the counters and the, and the registers that are all around you, wherever you might work, and I want you to think of them. Jesus is the bread of life for them. We've eaten of that bread of life as a Christian, so now we take that bread to them. And it's such a wonderful bread because he's altogether lovely. Go back to the passage again. So he says, the Lord always gives us this bread. Oh, such a beautiful, beautiful word. Says to him, Lord, always give us this bread. The word Lord there is a unique word because it's really the word sir. can be translated as the word sir. It often is, even in this book, this gospel is referred to sir. So it's not like, Lord, you're almighty God, so we look at you as the Messiah. It's nothing more than still saying, sir, we see you as someone really great. Lord, master kind of thing. You're a teacher. Rabbi, they called him earlier up in the chapter here. And he says, always give us this bread. So in other words, just like the Jews had manna, you keep giving us this bread. In fact, they wanted to go back to Jerusalem to set up the kingdom right then so they'd have plenty of food. And if you remember, he'd already healed people, so they also wanted to be the healer. So you take care of us medically, you take care of us physically with our food, and we've got it made. And that's what he's saying right here. How tremendous that is. And they still don't get the memo. They still don't get it. So now, there's a second request. And so Jesus responds secondly here. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Take out your notes because I want to talk about Jesus here. And I want you to take these notes down because there are four areas about these notes that might help you understand, is Jesus at the center of your life? So here's number one, if Jesus is at the center of your life, my question to you is, is he the source of life for you? Is Jesus the source of life for you? At the very center of it. Now remember, God provided food for them, so he was the source of physical life. And Jesus says, yeah, I took care of those people that were hungry, but he says, now I want to be the source of eternal life for you. I am so glad that I can go to Jesus who promises to be the entire source of my whole life. In him, I move and I have my being. He is the very center of my life. Now that might be what I believe, but look at how he talks about it in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am 
the bread of life. Now let's pause for a moment. See where it says I am? If you want to, why don't you circle that for a moment? I am. That's a very interesting phrase. Today we could say I'm the pastor of this church. I'm a member over at International. I'm a guest here at International. I'm a former this at International. So I am something. When these Jews heard Jesus say, I am, all of a sudden their ears went, boop. Their ears were perked up. Because that phrase is an incredibly important phrase in the Jewish biblical tradition. Here's how it began. Remember what I said about Moses? Took them out of Egypt, brought them into the promised land. Just before he announced that they were to go finally, if you recall, he too was in a little desert experience, backside of the desert. And there was this burning bush. And when this burning bush, he looks up and he says, who, who, who is this? Who are you? What, what is all, you know, kind of, what's going on here? I know bushes will burn in the desert, but this is a different kind of bush. This is a bush that burned in the desert that never burned up. So this is a unique bush. So what's going on here? Take off your shoes, your sandals, this holy ground. Who are you? And you know how God answered him? He said, I am. What he was really saying is, I'm not was. It's not I was or I will be. I am. We would call it he is the self-existent eternal one. He wasn't just then and he won't be just future. He is the great I am. It is always present with God because he is always existing because he is the source of everything and anything. Anything that had a beginning had it from someone who had no beginning, which was God. I am. And that's interesting because in the timeline of things, you got Moses who's hearing that God says, I am the great I am. In chapter 8 of John, Jesus refers back to that again by saying that he's the I am. And then he says that he was before Abraham as the I am. And Abraham came before Moses. Again, solidifying the fact that Jesus says, I am that I am that I am, meaning that he's the source of life. Now, you know what else is interesting? In the Gospel of John, this is such a rich book. I encourage you to read it again and again and again and again. 23 times in the Greek, Jesus uses the phrase, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. By the time he gets to chapter 8, the Jews were so, quote, liquored up over this, so excited about this, so angry about this, because they knew that Jesus was saying that he was the God who was there at the burning bush. He was the God that was there before Abraham, that he is the great I am, and they couldn't stand that about him. And of course, He already had the issues down in southern Israel. Now he's in northern Israel. The whole group is coming against him. No matter how many miracles he's done, how many ways he made their life better on the earth, they were rejecting it. Look in your notes, if you will, because I selected all of the I am statements that Jesus made about himself in the relationship of his salvation action. Do you see that in your notes? How many of you see it? If you do, say, "Uh uh-huh. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to read it out loud together with me and listen to our voices as we speak the words of Jesus Christ identifying himself as the great I am. Are you ready? Here we go. We'll just read the statements. The addresses we'll leave alone. Here they are. Let's say it together. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. So my friends, you cannot get away that Jesus Christ is the source of life. Now listen, if you're on the other side of this truth, I want you to know that there is no more source for your life other than God. Now, let me get a little theological here. Something is called common grace. 
Common grace is when God decides in his great love and grace for us to give everybody the same thing. Essentially, everybody can have physical water. Everybody will have sunshine. Everybody will have that thing that's in this world that we have. It's common. Whether you're good or bad, whatever your ethnic group, whatever your belief system might be, it doesn't matter. Common grace he gives to everybody. That's common grace. That's the goodness of God. But he's the source of common grace whether or not you ever come to him. He's still that source. But he's especially the source of those who want to have eternal life by faith alone. If you want to make sure that when you expire from this world, you will transpire into heaven that quick. He is the source of that for you and me. That's exciting. The only source. But he's not just the source. He's the sustainer of that life. That's the second thing. So you can ask yourself, if he's the source, can he also keep it going? I love that. If he's the source that can begin this, can he keep it going? <clears throat> Some of you might have lived places, we've done different places across our beautiful country, where you have a spring that bubbles up. And when there's a lot of rain, it kind of bubbles up and it comes up and then it kind of trickles down. And if there's a lot of rain, a lot of that will come. We've lived in San Antonio where they have an aquifer that fills up with water. It's like when it rains, it rains like on a rock shelf and then it goes into these pukas, into this underground lake that is huge aquifer. That's what it means. But if there's so much rain, it can't, the aquifer can't hold that any longer. Then through those pukas, instead of the water raining in all around the county, it now shoots up. And that's where you have the tremendous floods. And when you go through San Antonio, you're going to see all of these low water crossings and ditches for the water because there's just so much. But when there is no rain, the ditches dry up, the streams dry up, the underground aquifer dries up. The above-ground lakes shrink, and now you have water rationing. Why? Because the aquifer is not totally sustainable by itself. But Jesus is totally sustainable. When he says that when you come to me, you'll never thirst again, is because he is sustainable. You can drink and 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 drink. And people all over the world can drink and 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 drink. For decades and centuries, can drink and 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 drink. And you can't ever get rid of Jesus. And here's the best part of all. He is so sustaining that you can drink one time, you don't have to drink again. That is huge, people. When you can go to Jesus and you don't have to keep on believing and believing and believing and believing and believing and believing in order to stay saved. He's sustainable. But he's also the satisfaction of life. Look in verse 35 and 36 again. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Now, in my Bible, I underline the word come, and I underline the word believes. If you come to him, that is kind of connected to the belief thing going on. Coming to Jesus is believing in him. When you come to him, then you're not going to hunger. Why? Because he will feed you, not with the manna, not with some little wafer cake somewhere. When you come to him and you partake of Jesus, when you eat of Jesus, so to speak, you will never hunger again. There is not any more hunger. You are satisfied. He who believes in me will, there it is, never thirst. So that means you don't have to keep on believing and believing and believing and believing, and believing in order to stay saved. Because you come to him, you believe in him, you will never thirst. Underline the word never, because in the Greek, it's in this double negative that means no, not ever. And in other places of scripture, it talks about no, not ever, male or female at any time, ever thirst. You will no, not ever, male or female at any time, 
be cast out. You will know not ever at any time, male or female, lose your salvation. So no matter what God says, you are locked. It is a sealed deal with God. I love that. And I am totally satisfied by him. Carol is leaving today. She's leaving me to go be with her mom and dad for a week. Everything's pretty much okay at home. I guess it is when you're 91 and and 86, what her mom is. And she's so good. She left all this food in the refrigerator for me. And you know why? Because about every four or five hours, I get what? Hungry. All right? But I can tell you that when I go to the Lord, he's filled that need. Now, I know there's a praise song that says, I am desperate for him. It's not desperation for him because he hasn't met my needs. So when we sing that, I'm not desperate for him because I ran out of him and I got to go for more. I'm desperate for him because rhetorically without him, I would starve to death. Without him, I would have incredible thirst. So I am desperate for him in the sense that I will always need him because he is the center of my life. So he is the satisfaction of it. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.